0: board game famous the board gaming podcast that has actually made it to 10 episodes i'm your host david and i'm joined as always with my co-host michael howdy howdy since this is our 10th episode i thought we'd do something special so uh we wanted to focus on conventions i recently went to a convention and i also tracked down and accosted a designer that we have uh interviewed later in the podcast
1: if you've read the title, I hope you figured out who it is, because, you know, we figure we we're going to get more listeners by actually putting that in the title. <laughs> but, but in the podcast, we like to create a little bit of mystery.
0: Woo! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but we're going to go through a couple of things beforehand. Dave, you did mention that you were at a uh, convention. So what did you play at this convention? Well, I got... I think I got
0: 16 games, 16 unique games played at the convention. And
1: how many of them new to you? All of them, all of them new to me. 16 games, 16 new plays. Long-time listeners may uh, remember our episode about Cult of the New. <laughs> this is new to me at least. Quite a few of these are fairly
0: new titles, which is which is a uh, what are the good things conventions are good for? But I thought we'd do a rapid fire round of what you've been playing and I'll I'll give brief highlights of each of these. I got to play Red Rising from Stonemaier Games. It was a fun little hand management game. Very pretty because it was the collector's edition. Then I got to play Juicy Fruits. It was basket sliding fun and the game had chunky pieces of fruit that you have to strive not to eat. After that was Bites. It was a game where you're all moving picnic ants and collecting food, but you didn't know how much, the points, uh, you didn't know how much points the food was worth at the end of the game because it, deter- it was determined by the order the ants made it into the hive into the colony that's an interesting mechanic it's really good and i think it worked really well for two and three players it plays up to five and it got a little more chaotic at that at that player count then we played a game called bees from plan b game uh Is
1: is that the one that we were guessing on (laughs) yeah bees (laughs) yeah so for the listeners uh we have a discord and on that discord david was posting multiple pictures of all these games throughout the day throughout the week uh and we have a channel where you uh, post you post a picture of a board game component and every the other people guess what the game is and so people were just <laughs> posting gifs of nicolas cage uh <laughs> the bees <laughs> gif <laughs> <laughs> If that one,
0: that one was fine. You're moving a bee around a board. It wasn't very exciting. After that, we played Nidavellir, a an auction game where you have a hand of coins, and every round you you've got a hand of five coins, and every round you place three of them on the board, and whichever uh, whoever places the highest coin in the three taverns gets to hire a dwarf from that tavern first, and it's just a point salad style game. You're just getting points for dwarves, dwarves for days. After that was Goonies Never Say Die. It's a campaign game where you play through the movie Goonies, but one person plays as the trials and tribulations that the Goonies have to face. And I've never been more angry at my friend Aaron. It didn't help that he uh, got a rule wrong. He was supposed to tell us a special rule that we could then use from then on during the campaign. uh, And we failed miserably.
1: (laughs) Uh, Which character did you play as? I played as Chunk. Did you do the Truffle Shuffle?
0: I did not. Um, they wanted shirts on at all times at the convention. <laughs>
1: Unfortunate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Next was Dune Imperium, which w- I wanted to play because it's a combination worker placement deck building game. And I wanted to see how those mechanisms meshed well together. And it, it worked out really well. Ellen beat down on us, though. She, uh, I think she scored double me and I scored the second highest. Next was Shamans. That's a trick-taking card game, but there's a traitor. And it didn't think... I didn't think it would work, but it worked out really well. It was actually one of the ones we ended up buying after the convention. After Shamans, we played another trick-taking game. We played uh, The Crew. We actually played The Crew 2, Electric Boogaloo, uh, uh, Deep Sea. Now, I heard reviews that The Crew 2 was better, and it is. The goals that you have to meet are more interesting, and they're more varied. It's not just win a nine or it's not just win the green six it's things like don't win any pinks or you have to win exactly as many blues as you do yellows
1: yeah my friend group is still working through the crew one Uh we have a group of uh five players that we just have a house rule that as long as three of us are there we can keep playing on the missions because it's hard for all five of us to get there and uh, once we get through that we're gonna start playing the second one I'm glad that it's uh definitely still really good it's good but it's also
0: important something that's important is it's different enough to keep playing absolutely absolutely after the crew was trails of takana it was another one of those flipping right games where you're route building uh so you're you're flipping over two tiles uh, you're flipping over two cards and they each have a terrain type and you have a map of all these terrains you find somewhere on the map and draw one road between those two pieces of adjacent terrain. And it's slow going, and it's slow going, and then all of a sudden your route starts unfolding. And it worked out really well. It was really fun. Uh, The next game I played was Watergate. That was a two-player only game about the Nixon administration. So one player plays as Nixon, one player plays as journalists trying to expose Watergate. Uh, Nixon's trying to cover up all the evidence that leads to him. It's an interesting tug-of-war style game, where every round you have five things that you're tugging to your side. So you've got three pieces of evidence, some momentum, and some initiative that you're trying to get. Uh, Nixon's trying to block off paths of him and, and smother journalists. It was really fun. I was pretty good at it. I ended up beating my friend Aaron twice, once as Nixon, once as the journalists. So uh, I'm a master at the game already. Watch out, politics. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I can cover my tracks on any crime. (laughs) (laughs) After that, we played a game called Dinner in Paris. I hadn't really heard of this game before. Uh, It was lavishly produced, very large plastic restaurants that you put outside around a board. And then from there, it's an area control game with your outdoor seating you're placing your tables out on in pads, trying to block off other players and and control area with your tables it was It was about ticket to ride level complexity, but a little overwrought for what it was, but still a good time to play. Did you find out if anyone could cook? <laughs> i not anyone can cook, but a good cook can come from anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they say the life of a critic is easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like Anton ego. <laughs> what do you think what do you think the overlap of board game fans and Disney fans is? because this is not the first Disney reference we've had. So this is Ratatouille. I remember the lion. I'm going to
1: specifically say that's Disney Pixar, and that's a hill that I'll die on, That if you don't say that, it's specifically Pixar, because it's a different studio. Okay, okay, it's Disney Pixar, but we've also had Cruella de Vil and The Lion King, and those aren't Disney Pixar. Yeah, that's Disney Disney. gonna <laughs> are referring to in uh, Endgame as my favorite Disney movie. <laughs> wow. <Well, laughs>
0: after dinner in Paris, we played a game called Cubitos which was a strange combination of deck building, dice rolling, and push your luck. I didn't think I would like it because of the push your luck element, but uh, I ended up having a lot of fun because there's something about just rolling a handful of dice. That's uh, I saw
1: that on a few uh, a few lists of good games to look forward to and definitely want to try it out myself. It's strange looking. It's got a... And I, I, I'm being very
0: serious when I say this. It's got a piece of cheese wearing later hosen and very hairy legs standing on the cover of the box. It's not something that I would go, huh? That looks like something I would love to play.
1: What if I told you that was the reason
0: I did want to play it? <laughs> no, the boxes that I want to play typically have some brooding, <laughs> brooding man on the cover. Oh, nice! <laughs> Shout uh, out
1: to Uwe Rosenberg. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> after Cubidos, i got to play a game called viscounts of the west kingdom from Garfield games and i think shem phillips is the designer you can cut that out if uh if it's not <laughs> yes yeah, so the this artist and designer pair have a couple of trilogies they had the uh north sea trilogy um but i played this game and it's in the west kingdom trilogy viscounts of the west kingdom and it was a nice euroy fun game but it was much longer than I wanted it to be. The fun ran out about two-thirds of the way through, so I don't know if I'll be returning to that one. Well, that's not true. I did play one more game, but that leads us on to the next segment, which is The Road to the 100. I got to play Pandemic Iberia, which is another iteration of Pandemic, but it was a limited release, so it's not widely available at anywhere. So I was, glad I, I was glad that the convention library had a copy of it so I could get my hands on it. It's an interesting combination of Ticket to Ride and Pandemic because it takes place in uh, Spain, 1918, when a few diseases were ravaging the Iberian Peninsula. So there was no planes. You can't take a charter flight action. Instead, one of the actions you can do is lay track on the board. And then as a move action, you can move as far down the track as you want. And it, it, was, it was an interesting mix for uh, Pandemic. Other than that, the base actions were pretty much the same. Uh, it does play up to five players, which I think is fairly unique for the Pandemic series. Pandemic is Pandemic is Pandemic for the most part. It's oh. a great game. One other good thing about this iteration of Pandemic is the scalability of difficulty, which is just not something that we got to explore In this convention, one-time play setting, because you can give each of the to make it harder on yourself, you can give each of the diseases a special characteristic. But since we weren't familiar with how
1: the new actions interacted, we didn't want to try that out. So, so that's something you would revisit and definitely play around with—is giving a different diseases different characteristics and see how that how that plays and changes the play style.
0: Yeah, after I was a little more familiar with the game. Uh, just because Pandemic can be pretty hard as is, especially with more players, and we were playing with the full five-player count. So, even without the special diseases, we ended up losing, but just barely.
1: I mean, I know this is related to other co-op games, but, you know, I was just thinking about it just now. How do you handle, you know, someone becoming, you know, the general of co-op games? You understand what I'm saying? Oh, the alpha gamer? Um, You know, someone always has the idea of what what's the best move to do. It's like, how do you balance... Those, those thoughts. You just don't even worry about it. Where you just don't speak for other other people. We always have collaboration, but fortunately, my friend
0: group is a bunch of betas, so we don't have a we don't have an alpha gamer problem. We're pretty good at democratically deciding what's best for the group. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's time for Game of the Fortnite, the section where we highlight one game that should stand above all others. At least for the next two weeks. And this fortnight, we've decided to highlight Gloomhaven, designed by Isaac Childress. And there's no more need to be coy. He's the designer I interviewed at at the convention. So, Michael, I'm going to pass this over to you. I've been talking for a little while.
1: Why don't you share a little bit of your thoughts and feelings on Gloomhaven? Long time listeners will know that I have played Gloomhaven. Uh, I believe I talked about it in the very first episode. I could look it up. I could find out but I'm not going to. In fact, my group is still working on getting through Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is like a D&D board game where you are playing as characters exploring dungeons, taking actions, killing monsters and trying to complete objectives. Now, the cool thing about the cool thing about Gloomhaven is you have usually about 10 cards, maybe more, maybe less, depending on the character that you're playing as. Uh, and you pick two cards for each round, and you do the top action of one card and the bottom action of the other. You work through this deck of cards, through of actions to move and attack and uh, get treasure and all those kinds of stuff and do cool abilities. And then these cards that you use get discarded, and then you lose one of them. And so then you get the rest of the cards back and you do it over and over and over again and your deck gets smaller and smaller and smaller so it creates this uh ticking time bomb of loss of you trying to get through this dungeon as the actions uh, the choice of actions that you have slowly gets reduced and it's really nice and it's a campaign game where you follow a story uh, i haven't gone to the end of the story so i can't tell you how it ends because my friends and I have decided to do all the side missions. Would you really want to tell us how it ended if you had made it to the end already?
0: Would you be that person?
1: I would tell you how I felt. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> From a reviewer's perspective, I would tell you how I felt about the end. But I haven't made it, uh, made it there yet. And the reason you haven't made it there yet is because there is so much
0: world in this box. I think the base box comes with something like a hundred scenarios to play. And each scenario is like an hour to three hours
1: long. Correct. So like the re the retail of this is over a hundred dollars, I believe. Oh, but you're definitely getting your money's worth out of this game. So the retail is over a hundred dollars, and some board gamers might look at that and be like, oof, that's that's a hard sell. Because you know, board games can already be expensive and this one's over a hundred dollars. My friends and I have put hundreds and hours, hundreds of hours into this board game, which is more than I can say about a lot of board games that I own or we own. But like uh, David said, you have all these different scenarios. And so you read the flavor text to each scenario, which sets the stage of what's going on. And it really helps set the theme for the dungeon. And then you work your way through trying to complete these objectives. And there's a nice variety of objectives there. And uh, that unlocks more opportunities for the future. And then you return to the town of Gloomhaven, where your adventures help increase the prosperity of this town. And it unlocks more things and uh, more options and all these kinds of different little things. And it kind of branches out with all these options and comes to a nice conclusion. Or so I have been told. (laughs) How many, how many of the scenarios have you played so far? That is a good question. I cannot answer it. A better way to answer that is you start with six different characters that you can choose from at the very beginning. Am I correct? Yeah, that's yeah. right. I believe there are six characters that you can choose from at the beginning of the game for up to four people. Uh, as you progress, you can retire these characters and unlock different characters through individual objectives. And these objectives may take multiple scenarios to complete, like uh, kill so many of a specific kind of monster, or do so many different missions, etc., etc., etc. And unlocks you a new character. And then the box is full of all these other characters, and you're not supposed to open them until you unlock them. No, they And this just... box is full.
0: They just sit there taunting you.
1: They just sit there with a symbol on the box giving a slight hint into what kind of character they may be because all the characters in Gloomhaven play differently. You may have rushing attacking characters. You may have uh, super sneaky stealth kind of characters. You may have support characters, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And the symbol might give you a slight hint. So I can't tell you how many scenarios we've played, but we have unlocked all but one of the characters so far. What's the symbol on it? It's the crescent moon. Okay. And so the reason I like Gloomhaven so much is every single character has multiple ways that you can play them. And yes, I described characters that are stealthy and I've described characters that are hard hitting and are like quote unquote DPS just to use a video game term and all that kind of stuff. You have glass cannons and all that kind of, kind of characters. There, there is still some variety that allows you to have agency and you can play each character and toy around with the cards and play around a little bit to figure out what works for you the best and what feels satisfying. And then you create these card combos that is just creates such a visceral reaction whenever you pull off big enemy kills in these dungeons.
0: I have had Ellen come out and shush me while I'm playing Gloomhaven several times just because our reactions are so loud. When you pull off that times 2 damage modifier, you killing the last enemy in the dungeon and it was your last turn. Oh, there's nothing quite as satisfying as that.
1: You pick up an equipment card that allows you to hit multiple enemies and you, and you think this is the best scenario and you uh, use that equipment... And you make this big swinging attack to hit all these enemies and you pull a miss. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Even though the design is very simple because you are using these generic dungeon tiles to create all these different scenarios. It still feels thematic in a way that is very well designed for how reusable all the components are that like i said the flavor text we always take a pause to read the flavor text cuz it helps set the scene and the variety of enemies that you might face so i believe it was no pun included that said shout out to no pun included that it was such a re- so refreshing to not have a fantasy world that was just elves dwarves and what's the last one <laughs> italians uh yeah <laughs> gloomhaven creates these unique races and creates this unique world uh, that doesn't fall into these generic fantasy tropes. I mean, and they have their place. Um, there's there's a reason why they're reused, because they're familiar. But they create a brand new world, uh, brand new race views with all these different kinds of uh, peoples living together, both in the city of Gloomhaven and out in the world that you're exploring. So, David, how do you feel about it? I love Gloomhaven. And this is this might be a controversial
0: thing to say, but I think it's a game that you could introduce to new board game players. While the box is large, and contains a lot of content, the core mechanic that a single player does throughout the mission is chooses two cards from their hand, does the top action, does does the top action of one, does the bottom action of the other. And as long as there's one experienced player who really knows the rules, they can take care of all the admin. They can take care of all the, they can take care of all the enemies. They can remind players, oh, you have this status on you; it means this at this point. So, they, if as long as there's just one person who knows the game well enough, it's something that you can play with new players. It's, I agree with every point that you said. The only thing I don't like about Gloomhaven is How long it takes to set up, how long it takes to tear down, and sometimes the length of each of the scenarios. But designer Isaac Childress has done a couple of things to alleviate that. One is Gloomhaven is now available as a digital implementation, so you can play the full campaign uh, as a video game, and it works fairly well. The other thing he has done is he has released another game called Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion which is less characters, less unlocking stuff, less of a price point to entry on this, uh, on this campaign. But instead of giving you dungeon tiles, the tiles themselves are printed directly onto this atlas,
1: this map that you flip through and you play on the pages themselves. So the thing about what you say about how hard it is to set up and break down is true. Thankfully, in my board game group, I have someone who is the most organized person I have ever met in my life. So whenever we started playing it, he found an app on the app store that allows you to input the scenario and it just prints out all the monsters and you put the level and it does all that kind of stuff. And it's so much more easy to organize the combat that way. At at this point, we don't even pull out the monsters out of the box because we just use the app. And for all the tiles and all the accessories that go on it, like the uh, obstacles, the difficult terrain, all that kind of stuff. He has created such a comprehensive organization system that we can easily play two scenarios on a weeknight. Oh, wow. And I don't think I would have enjoyed initially enjoyed the game as much if it weren't for those efforts of he recognized the need that yeah there are a lot of game components and it can make it difficult to set up and break down afterwards but since he created such a good system for our group that it is easy to pull the dungeon tiles out on all the components that go on there we pull up the scenario on the app so we know which monsters to pull out and then we set them up as necessary all i can say about gloomhaven is it's a really good game it's not a game for everyone it is a campaign game that While it does have a story, uh, the story does not present itself in the gameplay very well. You read a short snippet at the beginning of each scenario, which I particularly enjoy. And uh, you enjoy all the mechanics and all the crunchiness of the combos you can pull off. But then afterwards you read another paragraph from the book. And so if you're looking for something that's really heavy on theme... World building. It might be hard to get there, but it does exist. But some people argue that it's really repetitive. But I think that it's repetitiveness, sense that it gives you a lot of room for experimentation.
0: I think I don't mind the repetitiveness because the repetitiveness comes from the dungeons. Oh, kill these monsters. Oh, kill these monsters. The combat in Gloomhaven is so much fun. It is true. It is true. So, it it is repetitive, but it's just fun scenario
1: after fun scenario. When you get the com uh, when you get the combat to work correctly, it feels so satisfying. So, David, what would you give Gloomhaven? Oh, I would award Gloomhaven the highest honor I can, which is the board game famous gold star. I would also give it the board game famous gold star because obviously I went on and on and on about it in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, and. Even though it's taken us years to complete Gloomhaven, we're still playing it because we like it that much. As much as we love playing other board games, we love getting together and still playing Gloomhaven.
0: Yeah, there's just so much content in that box. Like we said earlier, it's a big it's a huge barrier to entry with that price point, but you are getting your money's worth. You are you are paying for if you have the right group for it. If you if you've got a group, you can get together week after week after week. You are having fun every single night.
1: And if the price point is a big barrier, Jaws of the Lion may be a good option the only for entry pro- into Gloomhaven. The only problem with that is you'll probably fall in love with
0: it and have to buy the big box as well.
1: Well, oh, I mean, if you don't want to commit to
0: $100 plus, <laughs> Right, but once you play Jaws of the Lion, you'll want to commit. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And finally, we have one last segment that we want to do today, and that's the interview with Isaac Childress At Geekway 2021. This was the first convention that I volunteered at, and I volunteered at the Play and Win Library. So I got to see every person at the convention come through checking out games that they wanted to play for the convention. One of those people was designer Isaac Childress, and I accosted him. I got his phone number so that we could meet up and have an interview later. And now I have to not abuse his phone number. So without further ado, Here is myself sitting down with Isaac Childress at Geekway 2021. So I guess I'm going to start with some general questions about how are you liking the convention?
2: Uh, How am I liking the convention? Uh, It's been a little interesting. You know, it's uh, the first, it's not the first convention for me, but the first sort of playing convention, right? Where you just hang out and play games. Um, and a lot of the people I expected to be here ended up not being here, um, but I still had a good time. I've you know been been busy playing games the whole time, haven't been like wandering around looking for for games. Um, yeah, so it's still been real friendly, and yeah, it's been a good experience. What would you say is your game of the convention? Um, I don't know. So like a, a new game that I played at the convention, because like Lost Ruins of Arnak is like my game of of the year, I guess. Um, but I've played that multiple times before. No, I
0: didn't get a chance to play that
2: one today. <laughs> um, uh, but in terms of games that like, I've just now experienced at the convention, I don't know, it was kind of hit or miss on new games that I've played. Uh, I just finished Genotype. That was pretty good. And then the- Yeah, I was
0: hoping, I was hoping John Cavio would be here, because he's Genius Games is a St. Louis Post
2: Company. Oh yeah, that's true. He's not here, huh. Uh, yeah, I saw him at, uh, at Gen Con in Origins, so maybe he was just tired. Especially Origins, right, which was, like, directly before this. Um, but, yeah, and then Super Skill, what is it, Super, super Skill Pinball? Something, I forget yeah, the name of, of the game. Yeah,
0: that one like, 4 k or something
2: like that. Yeah, yeah, 4 k yeah. Uh, that was pretty good. I enjoyed that. Like, it, it, yeah, it very much, like, captures a feel of pinball. I think it kind of, like, lasts a little bit too long, but... Um, Well, you could probably play it faster once you get used to it. So, so yeah, that was fun. My next question is, is it a
0: surreal surreal experience to be famous in a niche hobby (laughs) where you're recognized by strangers like me when you normally wouldn't be going out?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting experience for sure. Um, You know, you only get recognized at conventions. So it's kind of nice. It's kind of just like... You know, you you understand that, yeah. When you go to conventions, people are probably gonna stop you and say hi to you, or you know, tell you how much they love your game, which is always which is always great. Um, but yeah, what I what I like to say is it's kind of like the perfect way to be famous, because like you can turn it on and off. It's like okay, I'm gonna go to this convention and be famous, but in my everyday life. Um, you know, I've like never gotten stopped at the grocery store or anything, you know. <laughs> so I can just live my normal life and then, you know, have have a little have a little celebrity break going to conventions. It's it's fun.
0: You're famous when you're when you want to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, and I I sent
0: it out to our Discord, so I've got a couple questions from list, listeners as well. Yeah, so this one is, what are a couple of games that inspired your design style, and what do you admire about them? And I, I also want to focus on the fact that you. Did not just design Gloomhaven. Though that's well, that series is what you're known for. Yeah. I also really enjoyed uh, Founders of Gloomhaven, and I've been trying to play. Is it Kingsforge? Uh, Forge War. Forge War.
2: Kingsforge yeah, is a so those different two games game. Games like came out at the same time, and confused a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's just like in general, like heavy Euro games, you know. So and. Um, so, I mean like specifically you know my first game Forge War was kind of inspired by Tolkien and Trajan um, uh, just like the the sort of spatial reasoning aspect of Trajan I tried to like capture in Forge War as well and then like the Tolkien idea of like sort of putting something on something and then kind of waiting for it to, to to get to where you want it to be before you act like just kind of like time resolved mechanisms Um, that sort of enhanced enhanced planning. Um, Yeah, and so I'd say, like, I don't don't know, I can't think of anything specific for Gloomhaven, but just, like, you know, the general, like, Euro aesthetic of of resources, or, you know, management of resources, which kind of think of, like, your cards as resources in Gloomhaven. And, you know, it's obviously very uh, Uh, decision-focused. So, yeah, trying to inject, like, some... Heavier Euro sensibilities into the dun- dungeon crawl genre, uh, but then you know the side of dungeon crawls, just playing lots of D and D, you know, and, and RPGs like video game RPGs. Growing up, just kind of enamored me to that that theme and that style of gameplay. Uh, when looking at the development cycle, how long does it typically
0: take for uh, your first idea to become that finalized project uh, product prod? product oh man that that came out hard
2: (laughs) well it uh, certainly depends on the game um uh, i mean if if we're talking Frosthaven, it's been over five years now (laughs) and it's we're still not quite to the finished product um but yeah i don't know i mean a euro game so i mean yeah to the final product that there's a lot of intricacies involved in that but yeah usually like a few years i think it's a euro game can is kind of like a standard development cycle i mean like i remember like forge war you know i kind of had the idea and you know i like went home that night and like made a prototype and it worked you know so i mean it could be kind of fast but then you know obviously refining refining the gameplay takes a long time and then all the all the developments and you know production aspects of graphic design and art and all that stuff. I don't know. It's it it takes a long time. It's it's <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's and, don't give up. Just keep going. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, if you're talking about Frosthaven, you know, that's just a whole whole other beast.
0: Did you start Frosthaven pretty quickly after developing Gloomhaven?
2: Yeah. Uh, once yeah, like even before it had come out, um, I think oh. it was a couple months before it was actually released, yes, I sat down and like started working on the the plot elements of like what I, what story I wanted to tell from Frosthaven, and then just kind of went from there, and started designing classes. So yeah, that was back in uh, late 2016. So yeah, it's been about five years.
0: Okay, um, is there a character that you feel like you developed for yourself and your play style,
2: uh, like in Gloomhaven? Yeah. Um, I don't know, I think all of them, to some extent. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I can say, like, I really like the Bone Shaper from, from the new uh, Frosthaven classes. Um, I think that's probably, like, my favorite of all the classes. And so, yeah, designing that, I, I guess, uh, I yeah, put a lot of stuff that I, I particularly like into that class. Yeah. Okay. Is there... Is there
0: something that you're particularly proud of that you wish other people recognized more
2: within the <laughs> Recognized games? more? Um, let's see. I don't know. I don't need more recognition, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but if I had to say something... <laughs> I don't know. What I would say is that I, I, I get... I got a certain amount of flack for, like, the looting system in Gloomhaven. Like, a lot of people don't like it. You know, just the fact that, like, oh, there's a bunch of coins left over at the end of the scenario. Why can't we pick them up? But it's like, if you could just get them all at the end of the scenario, like, there would be a lot less tension in the game. And so I would just like people to recognize that. That it's a, it's a well-thought-out you know, system. That, yeah, yeah, it's a well-thought-out system that, like, adds tension, which is what which you need in a, in a board game in order to make it interesting.
0: I didn't even know people complained about that I haven't looked online I, I really like it <laughs> good uh, my, 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 my friends always uh, and I'm going to lead this into the next question as well uh, we play online and yeah. uh, the last round whenever it's time to loot essentially it's the, the scenario has been won. it's I'm going to go to one that I know you can get to so you can't have it <laughs> well that's just mean <laughs> <laughs> um so, so what I w- wanted to ask about that is, wh- what was it like seeing uh, your flagship game get developed into a digital platform?
2: No, mm. uh, that that's really cool. Um, you know, before I was designing board games, like I, I tried to design video games, but uh, I, don't know, I just didn't have the patience for, patience for programming. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've just been a huge fan of, fan of video games my entire life, you know, starting with, like, the old Nintendo Entertainment System back when I was a kid. Just glued glued to video games my whole life. And so, yeah, to see something I create and then become a video game, uh, yeah, it's been kind of a, a really great experience. <laughs>
0: Glad to hear it. And then I think the last question that I have huh? is, could you please describe your ideal game night?
2: Um, so game night not, not game day No, it could be game day because I would say my ideal game night is like an entire day of gaming okay <laughs> um, so sure uh, where, where would that be I don't know probably at a friend's house so you know I don't have any responsibilities there maybe I bring some food or some drink and, and, yeah, we just play heavy Euro games, like, all day. You know, start with Gaia Project, which is, like, my favorite game. Definitely I've got to get Gaia Project in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe Feast for Odin. Maybe some, some new games that I haven't played before so I get to learn those and, like, I end up really enjoying them, whatever those might be.
0: Have you gotten to play uh, the re-release of Hansa Teutonica yet?
2: no. I forgot they even re-released that. Has it changed much? I
0: don't think it has. Yeah. Uh, I just never played the original, so I'm okay. going to be playing the new one
2: whenever I get my hands on it. Yeah, I have played the Hanseatica a few times. It's, it's yeah, it's a good game. Okay. But yeah, yeah, just an entire day of, of playing heavy Euro games, maybe learning a couple new ones, and um, yeah, maybe we, you know, order out to uh, some uh, Mediterranean place for for lunch and maybe get some. Uh, Indian food for dinner? Ooh.
0: Uh, I don't know how much longer you're in town, but (laughs) Anise Hyderabad House is the best restaurant in St. Louis. Okay. It's a a creep core. You can't beat the price, flavor, and the amount you get.
2: Uh, Yeah, we might stop. (laughs) So Anise Hyderabad? Yeah. Uh, Uh, Cool. Yeah, no, I went to an Indian restaurant last night. Uh, I'm vegan, so, like... Oh, okay. We went to, like, a vegan-specific Indian restaurant, and it was... The best Indian food I've ever had, so if you're saying there's something better than... Yeah,
0: oh, yeah, St. Louis has a large Indian population, oh, okay. so the restaurants around here are fantastic.
2: Yeah, it was, like, mind-blowing. Uh, I went to, um, what was it, Bombay... I keep getting the name of the... Bombay Food Junkies, I think, was the name of the restaurant.
0: I'll have to try that, but I haven't been there. Anissa might not be the best for vegan options.
2: Well, I mean, Indian food always has some vegan options, mm-hmm. or usually. I mean, they use a lot of cream, but anyway, I think we got off topic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I think that's the last question that I had. Uh, thank you so much for your time.
2: Yeah, no problem. That's fun. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> and that was Isaac Schildress, a really nice, down to earth guy. And it really just goes to show that I can get off track and off topic with just about anybody.
1: What a nice guy. Isn't the board gaming community great? Michael, you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> For the listeners at time of recording, I haven't even heard the interview. (laughs) (laughs) And that
0: brings us to the close of another episode. Thank you for listening to Board Game Famous. You can reach us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com, or you can find us on Discord
1: with the link below. You can now also find us on Instagram. That will also be in the description. Can 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 you please email David? He's just waiting for someone to email him. (laughs) I am I check it every day (laughs) (laughs) and to the brothers Murph have you ever interviewed someone so nice that's a great question for them (laughs) goodbye goodbye now